We're closing out uh, our series on the big Bible stories. Will you turn to somebody next to you and say, big Bible stories. There you go, big Bible stories. And so today, we're closing out with the fiery furnace and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. Yeah, it should be cool and fun and exciting. And so let me just kind of set the tone for it today. Um, I have three goals that I have been crying out to God uh, for the last few weeks that this message would do in us. And uh, three goals. Number one, uh, my prayer is that this message would or this storyline in Scripture would refocus us as to what real worship is and that we, that we once again worship the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. And then my second goal is to activate uh, some of us into having real godly friendships, um, that you would leave this place today going, you know what? I'm going to start getting to know some of those people in that church. I'm going to have some Christian friends that are going to stand with me. I'm going to start developing those relationships now. And that you have friends that will be there with you through the end of the age. And then my third desire and goal is that I'm looking to challenge all of us that we would really take a stand for Jesus this year. That this year would be a year that we take a stand, that our coworkers know who we are and what we, what we stand for. That our relatives, that our neighbors, everyone knows that we stand with Jesus. And uh, no matter what everybody else does in the world, that we're going to stand with Jesus. But that being said, I want to give you a 90-second preview and just a 90-second cliff notes of this entire passage out of Jan- Daniel chapter 3. Now, if you were like me and some of you guys got your whole way through college by reading cliff notes, you didn't ever read the book, you just read the cliff notes or watching YouTube videos about that, that book, right? I know what you did. And so I want to give you a 90-second quick just blow through it on what happens in the storyline, then we'll go back and we'll break it down. So it's at a season uh, in history where the Babylonians have pretty much conquered the known world. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonians. We're talking somewhere around uh, 600 BC, you know, uh, and so 600 years before Christ. So right at about 20, uh, what is that, just, you know, 2,600 years ago. And so the Babylonians have conquered all the major entities. Um, All the nations have come under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Nebuchadnezzar decides that he's going to make them all worship a god that he's going to develop. So he gets all his guys building this big giant gold idol. And he calls all of the leaders from all the nations that he has conquered to come and to bow down and worship. And so they're all going to be out in the plain of Dara, And they're going to stand there. And when the music starts playing, when U2 starts hitting the notes, they're all supposed to bow down and they're supposed to start worshiping. And, uh, and this moment comes. They all come. It takes weeks for them to get there. They all come. All the leaders of all the nations, of all the, all the groupings of people. And they're there. The music plays. Everyone bows down except for three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This infuriates the king. He has them bound up. He confronts them, and then he throws them into the furnace. And when he throws them into the furnace, the actual men who are throwing them into the furnace, they die because of the heat. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are seen as they're thrown into the fire, not dead, but walking around in the fire unscathed. And when the king sees it through the looking glass, he said, did we not throw three in there? And they said, yes, O king, we did. He said, then why is there a fourth one who looks like the son of God? Come on, somebody. And he pulls, has them, has them come out of the fire, and he says to them, your God is the one true God, and everything in the nation turns because of three, these three young men stand to stand with God, and God stood with them. With that being said, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, today, 
that men and women in this room would have something stirring them to have the kind of Christian friends that they've always needed. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would come back to a place of what real worship is all about, worshiping you. And then, Lord, by the end of this, that something in our spine would stiffen and we don't care what the news media is saying, we don't care what's popular, that, Lord, we're going to stand with you even if it's not popular. And that, Lord God, that you're going to give us, Lord God, that ability to be thrown into the fire and still come out not even smelling like smoke. We call these things as so in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So let's start in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. This is where Nebuchadnezzar brings the decree that everyone's going to bow down and worship this idol. So let's read in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3. It'll be on the screens for you. It says, And King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and nine feet wide. Do you know how far 90 feet is? Like nine story building and only nine feet wide. Like the, 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 I mean, you're talking about much higher than it is wide. So it's this pole sticking out in the middle of this thing and he covers it with gold and it's 90 feet high. Now, now the human body for the most part is a six to one ratio. Our height versus our width is about a six to one. This is a 10 to one being 90 and nine. And so as a result, uh, scholars believe that what happened was this image was a human image towards the top of the pole, but the bottom portion of the pole is more of a base, like you would uh, the base of of a structure, and then they'll put the statue on top of it, but there's a base. And so they believe that's what this looked like, and so that the people could have an image in their mind that they were worshiping something that that was relatable to them. And so he builds this thing, and he puts it up, and he then, verse 2, he then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So, verse 3, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. You say, why did they repeat itself? We understand that the satraps are going to go. And the reason why is because the scriptures are making the point of who was brought and how important it was to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't just get everyone to come because he could have never fit the millions of people he had conquered. What he got was the leaders. So he, you've got the president of the United States, you've got the president of Japan, you've got the dictator of North Korea, you've got all the governors of Texas, I mean, you've got all, every mayor, every city council person, you've got CEOs of corporations, you've got the leaders of leaders of leaders, and they've all, oh, it's taken them weeks to get there, and they're all brought out into this giant field, this plain of Dura, and there's this golden image standing up in front of them, and then continuing on, so again, and they're, they're to the dedication of the king of Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples and nations and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the paps, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold, the king, I, I don't know why he had a country accent, it just felt good, has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So they give this edict. Very clear. Everyone knows what's expected. If you don't bow down and worship this image, you will be murdered. You will be thrown into a fiery furnace. Probably the furnace that they used to melt all the gold. Probably along the way of building this great uh, contraption, if you will. This monstrosity of a pole standing out in the middle of the field. There are a few enemies that got thrown in that fire too because he just didn't want to see them anymore. And so you're going to be thrown into the furnace. But this whole thing is about one thing and one thing only. It's about worship. Can I explain something to you? All of humanity, the, the, the plight of humanity, the difficult, this, all, every bit of conflict is all about who will you and I worship. 
That's what this whole thing is about. It's not about how much money you make, how many kids you have, where you live, the color of your skin. This is all about who will you worship. And it says, and they took, Satan took Jesus on a top mountain and he said, bow down to me and worship me. And Jesus says, the word of God says, you shall love the Lord your God only and worship him only. I will not worship you or anything else other than Father God. Friend, can I explain something to you? This is all about worship. And I want to give you a couple thoughts about what worship is. In fact, let me define worship for you for just a moment, give you a little bit of a definition here. Worship is reverent devotion and pledged allegiance. That's really the definition of worship. It's reverent devotion and pledged allegiance. What have you pledged your allegiance to? What do you give your devotion to? Continuing on, a second part of that definition is is the fact that the rituals or ceremonies by which this reverence is expressed. So in worship, there is there is the motivation behind it that I that you are the centerpiece of who I am. I pledge my allegiance to you. And then there is the acting out or the ritual, if you will, or the ceremonies, if you will, by which you express that reverence or that worship. And so many times when we use the word worship in our culture today, we're thinking about music. We're thinking about what happened on the stage before I came up and the song and the music that was being played. Friend, worship is so much more than that. It's all about who do you give your allegiance to. It's about what's the centerpiece. It really is about what you and I value. In fact, the word worship comes from an original old English word, worthship. Worthship, the worth of something. What, what is the, the value of something? And so here's the problem with most Christians is that they don't understand. They add Jesus into their life, but he's not the centerpiece of who they are. He's valuable, but he's not the most valuable. In fact, I've seen people worship their kids more than they worship Jesus. I've seen people worship a, a sports team more than they worship Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Well, you can tell what you love by the way you I- interact with it, the way you get excited about it, the way it, 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 it takes the precedence of your value. And, and, and we all value things. We all value a nice home to live in. We all want to drive a decent car. We all want to have food on the table. We all want to dress decently. We all have these value pieces of our system. We all want to be fairly intelligent. We want to make a difference in the world in which we live. But friend, at the end of the day, those are all good values. But what's the most important value to you and me? That is what we worship. That's where we give our allegiance. That's what we, that's what we give ourselves to. And that is what worship is the giving of ourselves to the thing that we value the most. And for me, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified, friend. He is the centerpiece of my value system. He is the goal, the goal of my life. I want to know Christ and that somehow to obtain to his likeness and the fellowship of his sufferings, as Paul said in Philippians. I want to know him. I want to be like him. I want to act like him. I want to talk like him. He is the center. That is worship. And so I want to give you a couple truths about worship today as we kind of jump into this. couple truths. Number one, what you worship, you will serve. What you worship, you will serve. What you worship is what you're going to give yourself to. It will control the way you think. What you worship, it will control the what you do. You will serve it. It will tell you what to do. Whether it, whether it be education, whether it be money, whether it be sexuality, whatever you worship, you will serve it. it will, you will serve it. It will tell you what to do, and you'll do what it tells you to do. Why? Because you pledge allegiance to it. We see, we see this transpiring uh, with Hitler and the Third Reich. What Hitler and them had done is they had come to the place where they wanted to conquer and control the world. They even got into satanic rituals and worship like that, and they made a pledge to one another and to this, to this thought process that we will take over the world through demonic powers influencing us and guiding us. And they gave themselves through blood oaths. These are all some of the secret things that have come out since all that time and era. And you see the atrocities that they, you know why? Then why did they create, have all those atrocities? Because what you worship, you will serve. 
you'll do what it tells you to do. And that's why as they stand there on this great plain of Dura, all of a sudden he tells them, you will worship. You will pledge your allegiance to this thing. I am telling you here and now. Do you know the reason why King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to get everyone to worship? Why do that? Because he understood a principle. And that is, if I can get everyone worshiping the same God, I can control them. That's what he was after. If I can get them all worshiping the same God, then by way of religion, by way of emotion of what they give themselves to, completely uh, 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 aligned with, even if they don't like my way of doing business, even if they hate that I conquer them, I will give them a God that speaks to them, that they worship and therefore they serve. And then what I can do is say, the, I am God, that God's representative, and he told me to tell y'all this. And this is the power that he wanted to have over all the peoples of the earth. And so worship proves, number, excuse me, number one, worship, you will, what you worship, you will serve. Number two, worship proves, number two, your loyalty. Worship proves your loyalty. What's your loyalty? What your loyalty you worship? Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, man. It proves that you're, the, the fact that you're worshiping proves your loyalty. Uh, listen, I know people who love that girlfriend more than they love Jesus. And they worship the ground she walks on. All ladies would say, oh, that would be so nice to have somebody like that. Friend, let me tell you something. You don't want somebody who worships you. You want someone who worships Jesus. Because then, when all of a sudden you're not fine anymore, he's not running off on you chasing after someone else whose ground and feet are so pretty and little faces all still skinny and all that kind of stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a loyalty that goes beyond the two of you. There's a loyalty that comes only from knowing Jesus. It causes you to be able to love unconditionally those around you as well. This loyalty that we're talking about, this proves, this proves how much you love the Lord. There's this loyalty when you worship the Lord. And when I get to lifting my hands and singing out, I'm showing the Lord how loyal I am to. When I obey his teachings, I'm showing my loyalty. Here's a third truth about worship, and that is true worship is active. It's active. I know people have taught you, some of you over the years in different denominations you came that worship is supposed to be contemplative. That it's just personal. That it's just, it's within me. And I just think good thoughts, and I... Say quiet, private prayers. Frank, can I tell you something? Worship's so much more than that. Worship is active. That's why he told them you're going to bow down. Why couldn't they just stand there and just think about the golden statue? Why? Because worship is active. There's, there's an activity ap- applied to the fact that I am being loyal to you. There's an activity to the fact that I'm, I, I, I am in allegiance with you, that you are the, the head of me. I'm worshiping that which is bigger than me, that which I give myself to. And there's an activity connected to this thing called Worship, And so to, the reason why we lift our hands here in this church, the reason why we sing out and even some of us dance is because why? Because we're active in our worship. We're not pretending. It's not a game. It's not something private, just private, but it's also something public. It's both private and public. Why? Because we're worshipers of the allegiance that I have to my king and, my, and the king of kings and the Lord of Lords, who when I was yet a sinner died for me and pulled me out of, out of the miry clay and put my feet on a rock to stay. This God who saved me and, and cares for me. I am loyal to him all my days. His representative, Jesus Christ on the earth. And then, of course, his Holy Spirit living and abiding in me. And the fourth and final truth about worship is that real worship requires real sacrifice. Real worship. Oh, I worship the Lord. Do you? How much sacrifice is involved in it? David said it like this. I will offer nothing. I won't give anything that costs me nothing. I'm not giving anything. He was there to bring forth worship. And he was trying to, he was trying to uh, make, you know, make some sacrifices. And they were going to give him some land because he was the king. He said, no, sir, that won't cost me anything. Because he understood. And, G, and David is considered a man after God's own heart. He wrote uh, 60% of the Psalms in your, in your book of Psalms. 
He was a man who was a warrior, and yet he was a worshiper of the living God. And what we see in David is being a man after God's heart, he understood there was sacrifice connected to worship. Say, I don't feel good today, so I'm just going to sit here. Not me, friend. It's a sacrifice for me. You think I always feel good when I'm throwing up my hands and telling Jesus how awesome he is? Do you think it's easy for me to to give a tithe whenever, uh, a tithe of worship to the Lord whenever we're broke and we don't know where it's going to come from? It's a sacrifice. And we see clearly in Romans chapter 12 this concept. It says, therefore, verse 1, Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And look, he's saying, listen, you want to really worship God? Then make your life a living sacrifice. I mean, give yourself complete, there's got to be sacrifice. There are many things that, that the Lord's asked me to sacrifice to be a worshiper of him. Do you understand, when I was 33 years old, I was offered a 5,000-member church in Atlanta. I wanted that so bad. I did. And I was before the Lord worshiping as he was about to give me that job. And I was so excited about it. And he gave me an open vision. He said, no, stay in Texas. I was like, you got to be kidding me. What's wrong with you, Lord? You're messing up my career plans. You know why I could do that? Because I'm totally, completely in sacrificial love for him. My life is not my own. It belongs to you. You can do the same thing. And many of you have done even, even greater uh, gifts of sacrifice for your God. It's amazing, but we see this very clearly. And look what that passage says back on the screen of Romans 12. And it says that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you know why some people don't, can't find God's will? Because there's no sacrifice of worship connected to you. He said, what are you talking about? See, because I'm in connection with the Lord, because I'm a worshiper of the Lord my God, he constantly tells me, this is what I want you to do. So I'm like, okay, it's easy. I find people all the time, I don't know what God wants. Do you worship him? Do you connect with him? Do you have this interaction with him that's intimate and powerful, both privately and publicly? I don't really know about that. That's why God calls us to come and worship. Those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. What that means in authenticity and from the depths of their heart, from the realness of who they are. And so this is what the battle is all over. I want all of you, Nebuchadnezzar says, to come and bow down and worship this fake thing that I have had my buddies make and put gold all over the top of it and threw it up 90 feet in the air. I want you to come worship it and I want you to put your allegiance to this thing and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to be able to control you because there's going to be a mute fake God that I quote represent and tell you what he's saying and your allegiance will be, be tied to that. Can I tell you something? We got more things that this world and this nation has got itself wrapped in the gods of this world from everything from materialism, come on, to sex. Sexuality. And the Bible is very clear. He says, in the last day, men's, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'll worship their own bodies. They'll worship their own sexual pleasure. And then you say, worship, what do you mean? I'm not dancing around, you know, worshiping sexuality. Well, friend, let me, let me put it again in perspective. Whatever we give our allegiance to, whatever we give ourselves completely to and say, I give devotion to this. Devotion means put time, put effort, put energy. Whatever we put time, effort, and energy into more than we do Jesus, friend, that's what we're devoted to, and that's what we're worshiping. And so with that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, that ain't happening. I'm not doing it. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, the music starts playing. And again, picture this. So it takes them weeks to get there. 
people coming, and they don't get to jump on a plane and come, and there's probably hundreds of thousands, could be upwards of a million leaders there. I mean, these are dignitaries from all over what was then the known world that Nebuchadnezzar had conquered and Babylon had conquered. And all of a sudden, they're supposed to stand there, and the, and, and the, and the proclaimer said that when the music starts playing, and listen, can you, let's put it in our perspective. I mean, we're out there in front of the White House, you know, on that big lawn, and we've all been brought in, and all of a sudden, you two's there, ready to play, and they start playing, and then everybody, everybody, everybody starts bowing. Can you imagine? Except for these three little dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Shadrach looks over at Meshach? You're not bowing, are you? Uh, no, I'm not. Are you bowing? I was thinking about it. No, no, come on, man. We can do it. What do you think of Abednego? I'm with you, bro. Don't bow. There's a devil. Don't do it, bro. Thank you, bro. Fist pump. Okay. Keep standing. And everybody's bowing and everybody's looking up at him like, you crazy. You're going to die. They're going to kill you. I ain't bowing. I'm not bowing. You bowing yet? I'm not bowing yet. I'm not going to. We stand for the Lord our God. That's right. High five. Okay, keep standing. And then, man, everyone's, all of a sudden, people start looking out across, and they see those two, those three dudes still standing there. Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. Bring them to me right now. He bring, has them brought in front of him, and he says, now maybe y'all misunderstood when the music plays, you're supposed to bow. Okay? All right. Maybe you missed it, but you need to make a change. Hit the music again. And that's when they interrupt him. And we'll pick up with what they tell him right here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16 of chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. Listen, see if you can pick up a word that's mentioned here a bunch. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Frank, can I explain something to you? They look this man in the face and say, we ain't doing it. And And oh, if I could get... Christians in this hour to have this kind of faith. Look what they say to him. They say, listen, our God will be there with it. He will keep us from you destroying us in your little furnace. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, how many Christians do I know? God, if you do this for me, I will serve you. But if you don't, I'm out. You can't even be real because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. These guys, 2,600 years ago, had more faith than most Christians today who had the power of the Holy Spirit living and abiding in them. These guys didn't even have the power of the Holy Spirit. They just had a confidence and an allegiance. See, the problem is we haven't really aligned ourselves with the Lord completely. We've aligned ourselves with a lot of things, and Jesus is one of them. But they had complete dedication. And they said, King, we don't care what you do or what you say. We're not even going to defend our actions. And they used this word, we. 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 Do you know what some of our problem is? We got too much thee and not enough we. My fear for you is that you're trying to do this thing all alone. Oh, well, my wife, she loves the Lord. Friend, that's great. But you need more we than your wife. Friend, let me tell you something. You, young, young people, you need, you need some dudes, some dudettes that will stand there with you when everyone else is bowing and saying, don't do it. Don't you bow. I'm about to. I don't want to. Don't do it. Don't do it. Come on. 
We got this. Okay, 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 okay. We need, each and every one of us, need, listen, some of you got them old friends. You go hang out with them on Friday nights, can't figure out how you got drunk. I can tell you how you got drunk because they don't love Jesus and you're trying to be their friend. You think you're helping them, but all they're doing is pulling you back down into that old lifestyle. You keep saying, I don't know why I feel tempted to cheat on my husband. That's because you're talking all day long with ladies who are leaving their husbands and messing around with other people on social media and that kind of thing. You don't understand why you're having such a problem to have faith and believe God for miracles. I'll tell you why, because you camped out with folks who don't believe nothing that God can do. They don't think he's even there, and you can't figure out why life is so bad. I'll tell you why, because you ain't got no wheeze in your life. Look, there are some men and women in this church that Jamie and I, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. That, that, listen, listen sit, where, where are you, John Hunter? John Hunter, my best friend in life. He's been there for me when nobody else has been there for me. Ken Carsage, Jonathan Pena, Chris Hart, and the list goes on and on. I got a group of men that whenever I get buckly in my knees and don't want to do it anymore, they kind of stand up beside me, hold me up, say, come on, PA, we got this. You got this. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. There have been times, had those people not have been around me, I'd have went the other way. But I thank God for the Shadrachs, Meshachs, and a and he goes, and they can stand there and say, let's do this together. We can do this. We, O king, defy you. We, O king, will not bow. We, O king, believe in the Lord our God. And if our God doesn't come and rescue us, we still, we still are not going to bow our knee to your false God. Friend, that's your problem is that you ain't got no wheeze in your life. So you may ask, so how do I get friends like this? I'm so glad you asked. Let me give you a couple of points on how you can have these kind of friends. Are you there with me? Say yes. Number one, you got to be friendly. Some of you just as mean as all get out. Well, I tell you, I'm going to just sit right here and see if they come talk to me. Ain't nobody come loved on me. I'm just looking at them. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you with your Hispanic self. Uh-huh. Right? Listen, you got to be friendly. Get up. Go be nice to people. Well, I just not my nature. Well, your nature's wrong. Change. You need to learn to be friendly. I love you. God bless you. But come on now. Come on. I mean, I, listen, I won't. I, listen, there are, there are fast food restaurants. I will not even grace their. I won't even go through their drive-thru. Why? What you want? I want to reach across there and punch you, but I'll go to jail. That's all I want to do. But I go fly through, and sorry, sorry to promote one over another, but I go run through Chick-fil-A, sit in line 16 hours. Yes, may I help you, please? Uh, I want a chicken. Wait, I want to change that. It's okay, sir. Take your time. <laughs> well, and I want to add a such and such. Sir, I'm sorry. We don't provide that, but I can change it like this. Really? Well, yeah. Give me that, too. And I get up and say, thank you so much. They go, it's my pleasure. <laughs> I'm sitting in there. My kids destroying their playland. People throwing up everywhere. And they're bringing you. Would you like some more to drink? Well, I do. Thanks. I mean, you can't even get in the parking lot. Why? Because they're friendly. Come on, we all been to churches like they didn't even want you there. Like, that's one right there. She's a sinner. <clears throat> she was sleeping with someone last night and wasn't married to him. I could tell. I got the spirit of discernment. You know why you ain't got friends? Because you're not nice. Be friendly. Everybody say be friendly. friendly. Number two, how to get friends like that. Number two, you need to love like Jesus loved. Love like Jesus loved. Jesus is kind. Do you know Christ died for you before you ever decided to become a Christian? He said, you know what, I'm going to pay it for. I'm going to die for you whether you receive me or not. 
You know, the word of God says, Jesus says it like this in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's gentle. I'm so grateful. My friends love me like, like, they, like, they, like Jesus would. They, they don't wait for me to be perfect. Friend, if you're waiting for them to be perfect, you're in trouble. You know, well, I'll just tell you right now. You remember, you made a mistake, and I just can't, I just can't be friends with someone who makes a mistake like that. I have it written down right here, 1967. You did that. And when, you hadn't said you were sorry yet. Well, friend, forgive me for being, being human. No wonder you're not my friend. You love like Jesus loved. He forgives. He goes on with life. He carries us when we can't carry ourselves. That's the kind of love that real friends have for one another. They got each other's back. They understand that you're having a bad day. And who do you, who do you hurt the most? The person standing closest to you when you're having a bad day, right? And they just give up. They, they give over the fact that they have to be right. They don't have to be right. They just love us because they're just good friends. You're going to find that in a church like this, man. Stop trying to look for it out in the bars. Stop trying to get it at work when, you know, they don't even believe the same way you believe. You need some Shadrachs and some Meshachs around your old Bednego self. And you need to get some folks who will stand with you when everyone else is bowing. Here's a third way that you get good friends like this, and that is you need to commit to the friendship. Commit to it. Say, look, you know what? Good, bad, or ugly, I pick you. You're weird. I get it. But for whatever reason, <laughs> I like you. I don't know why. I don't know why. My whole life, I've always had the weird friends because nobody else would befriend them. God gave me like a special gift, a gift for it. I mean, look at Pastor Jonathan. I mean, it's a gift that I have. <laughs> Bujo and Thibodeau got their friend Abear to fly them to the North Woods for a bear hunt in his airplane. Abear dropped them off and said, look, I'll be back in three days for you. They had a good hunt, man. They killed six bears all together. Man, you know, after three days, here comes a bear. He pulls up on the plane. They start loading all their stuff in the plane, and they start picking these big old bears and putting them on the plane. And, and a bear said, well, you can't do that. It's too much weight. I can't. I, we'll crash it. Oh, no. Boudreaux said, don't you worry about it. It'll be just fine. He said, no, I'm telling you, it's too much. So, so Boudreaux and Thibodeau look at him and said, listen, we want to remind you, last year, we came to the same place. You had a plane just like, uh, d- just like this one. Last year, you had a plane just like the one you got this year. He said, and we did the same thing. We killed six bears last year, and you loaded them up. It was just, everything was just fine. Finally, he said, okay, okay, I'll, all right, I'll do it. And so a bear finally agrees, and they took off, and the plane gets up above the trees, and all of a sudden, it's just too much weight, and they crash down in the woods. And as they're ca- crawling out from the wreckage, Thibodeau asked bear, uh, Boudreaux, he said, Boudreaux, he said, uh, where do you think we landed? He said, the same place we crashed last year. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Man, you need some friends. They're like, dude, you're going to kill me. Just like you did last year. But I'm a friend. Let's go do it again. Come on now. You're going to get me all beat up all over again. We need some friends that will stay there. We need some Shadrachs and some Meshachs to be a part of our Obednego self. And so you and I need to look around. In this church, there are people that God wants you to be friends with. I'm telling you. I pray every day, God, please, let the people of this church find their friends right here in this church. In the community where we believe the same way, where we're we're after the same goals, we're trying, trying to do great things for God together. And that's what you and I need. If you keep reading in this passage of Scripture, they won't bow down. They won't give in. And so Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind, loses it. He gets furious. And he says, give me the, the strongest men out of my army. Call them. And they get the biggest, baddest dudes they got. He says, tie them up. I don't, don't even strip their clothes down. Everything on them, tie them up right now and go throw them into that furnace. And let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 22. It says, the, com- the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot 
that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, this junk is so hot. It's so powerful of a flame, all these flames in this furnace, that the Green Berets, the special forces, the dudes who can handle anything, the moment they try to throw them in, they, pat, they die. They're just dead right there on the ground. And, and literally, if you keep reading, it says they basically fall on into it. It says, in, it says in verse 23, And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men who we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, sir, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blaze of the furnace and shouted out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come on out here, dudes. He said, get on out. The servants of the most high God, come out. Come out here. And when they came out, look what it says. And all the guys gathered around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. And there wasn't even a smell of fire on them. They didn't even smell like, come on, you hanging out with your bros and he's smoking a blunt. You go home and your daddy's like, I smell that. It's on your clothes. They don't even smell like smoke. Dudes died trying to throw them in. And they are still, not only did they live, but it says this. There's a fourth one in the middle of that thing with them. Can I tell you something? If you'll stand for Jesus, he'll stand with you. You'll stand for him. He will stand with you as you go through persecution at work. He will stand with you as you go through financial difficulty. If you'll stand with him, stay with me, he will stand with you as your spouse loses their mind and you're going, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know what's wrong with you, but I tell you, I'm not bowing my knee to go back and be wicked again like we used to be. I'm standing for the Lord and I'm standing for you. And Jesus will then stand with you as you go into the fire. And like I love what they said. Even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not bowing. This is a determination of allegiance that I believe 80% of Christians in America have never come to. They like what Jesus can do for them. They want to be blessed. They want to live the blessed life now. But they're not willing to go to the fire on behalf of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And these three young men together said, we'll do it. We will not bow. And as a result, in his fury and his anger, when he realizes, wait a minute, They have the one true God. And he says to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Look at the revelation that hits this king of the known world. He's the most powerful man in the world. He has a revelation. This is not practical. This cannot happen in the natural. They are worshiping and serving a God who is the Most High God. Friend, are you... Do you have an understanding that you are serving the most high God? There is no other God before him. There is nothing greater than him. What can man do to you? What, listen, Jesus said like this, don't be fearful of what man can do. Fear rather the one who can destroy your soul for eternity. And Jesus said it like this, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I need you to understand something. The, the word of God prophesies difficult times in the last days. That many will turn away from the faith and abandon the Lord. How many other Israelites were sitting out there who bowed, who knew Jehovah God, who taken Passover year after year? How many of them 
who were circumcised with a covenant relationship with the Lord bowed their knee right then in that moment to protect their family, to secure their income source. How many, quote, Christians have I seen cheated on their wives because it was easier and convenient? How many Christians do I know who are stealing from their employers because they need the money, lying on their taxes, cheating in different places like this, refusing to make a stand for Jesus, rather bowing to the culture of this world? How many, how many those who wait tables don't report the tips that they get? How many, quote, Christians lie and cheat and steal? No wonder the world's confused of what it is to be a Christian because we haven't fully joined in allegiance with the Lord our God. Because when we make him the King of kings and the Lord of lords, all of a sudden our worship becomes active, becomes real, becomes sacrificial. Why? Because of our love is sincere and our allegiance is true. This is what's been lacking. I'm convinced that this is a type and shadow of that moment in history when we all stand before the Lord. I'm convinced that in that moment, as the scripture says, that God the Father will separate the sheep from the goats. And that each one of us will stand there and give an account of our life. And as we stand there and give an account of our life with the raging furnace, the lake of fire waiting for those of disobedience. Those who have said, I don't care, I will not serve the Lord. Those, it's waiting on them. And as we stand there before the Lord our God, and we tell him of all of our life and all that we did, it's all played out in front of us. It's recorded in the book. The video is playing in the background. There'll be no lying, no manipulating, no, no saying, well, well, my dad beat me and that's why I didn't serve the Lord. Or, or you know, really the preacher was fake and, and he was sleeping with my sister and so I didn't think anything. None of that will matter in that moment. Only thing will matter is did you or did you not serve the Lord? And in that moment, as all that's playing, the fire is raging. There'll be those of us as we stand there and all of our sins are brought forward and all the reasons why we deserve that furnace. And then all of a sudden, the fourth man in the fire will step up and say, yeah, but he belongs to me, Daddy. He belongs to me. I already paid for it. And you and I will go, oh, thank you. And then there will be others. And they'll look as all of it's presented. The whole case is presented against them. And they'll look over at Jesus. And Jesus will look and say, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not your advocate. Because you never worshipped me. You never were aligned with me. You never pledged your allegiance to me. You might have went to church. And I think I've met you, but I don't, I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. For I tell you on that day, where it's going to be, I I'm telling you, I'm going to be disappointed because I've reached out to a lot of people who pushed God away. So now nah, I'm all right. And I, I, I don't desire the hellfires for anyone, but it's a reality. No matter what people do to soften the truth of the gospel, it's still a, it's still a reality. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Scriptures, Jesus himself said it. It's clear. I don't know about you, but I want to stand for him all my days. Listen to me. There have been many who have died for the cause of Christ. They're dying today for the cause of Christ in Muslim world. Their head's being chopped off because they serve Jesus. ISIS refusing to give them any grace because they won't serve Muhammad in a radical format. So they cut their heads off. Can I tell you something? You need to decide who you stand with and who you stand for. Because if you stand with Jesus... Stand for Jesus. He'll stand with you. And that's what he's done all my days. Through every fire I've been in, he stood there right beside me. And I've come out of every one of those situations. Didn't even smell like smoke. Would you stand with me all across the room since we're talking about standing? And I want to close out this time with ministry to you. I love you with all of my heart. And I want you to do me a favor. Would you create a private place right where you stand by just closing your eyes? Come on, I promise you we won't steal anything.
You just stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed for just a moment. As you stand there, I want you to take a moment and evaluate yourself in reference to this message. Are you a worshiper? Are you a person who's completely aligned with the Lord? Have you given him your allegiance? Does it come out in your worship? This is all about who will we worship. It's always been about what we will worship and who we will worship. Satan told Jesus, if you'll just, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. It's always about what we will put our allegiance towards. Have you put your allegiance more towards your career, towards your money, towards your family? Those are all good things, but they're not the thing that's the centerpiece of allegiance. They become little gods in your life if you're not careful. If Jesus isn't the centerpiece. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had an understanding. We will not bow to this, even if it's convenient. Even if we can say we're sorry a little later. We will not bow. With every head bowed and every eye closed. What are you worshiping these days? I want you to take a moment and just say, Lord, if I've worshipped anything, pledge my allegiance to anything, anyone more than you. Please forgive me. Come on, I want you to say that prayer under your breath right there where you stand. I want you to evaluate yourself and say, Lord, I just love you and I just don't want anything to get in the way. I want you to be true worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. I want you to be obedient to Romans 12, you and me, that we're living sacrifices. Loving not our lives, even unto the death. Somehow obtaining to his likeness, fellowship of his suffering, power of his resurrection. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to also ask yourself, do I have any friends like this? Have I been friendly? Do you have any long-term friends? I'm not talking about do you have a friend right now. Everybody have a friend right now. I want you to develop long-term Christian friends that will stand with you. I want you to have folks who believe the way you do. Have your back in those hard moments, those difficult moments. Lord, I pray right now you'd open up every man and woman's heart in this room to to, to a new caliber of friend, to more of the kind of friends, oh God, that will stand with them in hard times. As you contemplate these things and you're seeking the Lord, I want to give a call to anyone in this room and say, Pastor, I've got to be honest. I'm not a Christian. If I die today, I'm not sure if I go to heaven. Friend, I've been there. I know what it's like to sit in a service and I feel God, but I feel my guilt and my sin and the shame that I should know better. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian, but I'll be honest with you. I've walked away. I don't, I'm not really serving the Lord. I know for a fact that if I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. Friend, I've been there too. I've been in a, what some call a backslidden state separated from the God, divorced from him, had known him well, and then walked away from him. Been there too. And I got good news for both parties. He loves you. He so loves you that his image of how his brand for how he loves you is his arm stretched out wide, nailed to a cross. For all his days, that's his brand. Golden arches represent McDonald's. Jesus stretched out on the cross represents who he is and his love for you. He's not pushing you away. He's not waiting you to be good and not be bad. He's calling you to himself right as you are, just as you are. So today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, if you're not sure if you'd go to heaven, would you let me pray with you? Listen, nobody's looking around. This is private, me and you and Jesus. But I gotta know who that is so I can pray with you. I gotta lead you in a right relationship to the Lord. I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But you and I need to get this right. Can't leave this place like that. He said, what do I have to do? The Bible says that he did it all. 
He paid for it all on that cross. It's all been paid for. All your sin has already been prepaid. All you have to do is access what he did. So, well, how do I do that? Well, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But don't looking around. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I'm ready. It's time for me to serve the Lord. It's time for me to make him the Lord of my life. No one's looking. I want to pray with you. Quickly, throw up your hand. Let me see it. I'll pray with you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Quickly put it up where I can see it. Make sure I see it. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, for, thank you, ma'am. Thank you for your sincerity. The Lord loves honesty and authenticity. There's no pretending here. We're just being real, all of us with the Lord. No one's looking around. Thank you, sir. Put your hand down. Anyone else? Give you about three seconds. I'm going to move on. I just want to be sure that you, that you don't leave this place in the same situation. Two seconds. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, woman of God. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, sir. Amen. Thanks for your honesty. Thank you. The Lord smiles on you today. He's so proud of you. Amen. I saw it. I see your hand. You put them down. Now, today, those of you that lifted your hand, I'm going to connect you back to Jesus through a prayer. I'm just going to, we're going to pray together. And the Lord says he hears those prayers and he responds. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray this prayer out loud with you. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural is that you lifted your hand and said, I need God. I'm ready for a change. And as you pray, it's like putting a period at the end of the sentence. The work has already been done. You got up. You came here this morning. You're responding to God. You want him. The prayer just kind of seals it. It's like a period at the end of the sentence. So I'd like you to pray this out loud with me. In fact, everyone in the audience helped those who lifted their hand by saying it like this. Jesus, today... I admit, I'm a sinner. I need your help. And I ask you now to forgive me. I declare in front of everyone that I am yours. I make my allegiance with you, Jesus. Come on, say it out loud. With you, Jesus. And I receive your forgiveness today. And I thank you for dying on a cross. Now fill me with your spirit. Write my name in your book of life, and I'll serve you forever in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman who lifted their hand that they would sense right now peace and joy and forgiveness. They just know that it's there, even if they can't explain it. Right now that they would sense in all the thoughts in their mind, but I got to do this, and I can't do this. Good Lord, just quiet all that and just let them know that they're yours. And you'll figure all the other stuff out. You'll figure out all the addiction stuff. And you'll figure out all the messy stuff. But, but they're yours now. And if they were to die in a horrible car accident out, out on that intersection out, out front, that they would be immediately welcomed into your arms and forever spend eternity with you. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.